Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. Yeah, that's one thing we have we have tuned into a lot more as as boat owners and boaters in general is follow your gut feeling. Like most of the time, it's going to be right. If you have bad feelings, or in in most situations, if it's if it's a project you're working on, if it's a sailing situation where you feel unsafe or you feel like something's just not right, it's usually for a reason. And looking back, we definitely had moments like that in the in the purchasing process of this boat, and we didn't listen to it because we were so set on the dream boat that was sitting right in front of us, and we felt like that was the only boat that we could have. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this episode, I'll take you to California to chat with a delightful couple who have been liverboards for many years now. We dive into boat shopping, and my guests offer a bit of a cautionary tale about their experience. I'm also excited to share this episode with you because this is another great example of how the sailing lifestyle has turned into a business. And for this couple, it's all about boats. There are also some great tips on how to be a steward of the oceans and the environment, and how to get ready for the liverboard life. Now here is my chat with Sonia and Jack from To The Horizon. Well, let's start with the basics. Uh, who are you? Where are you? And what's your sailboat? Uh, well, I am Jack Patton. And I'm Sonia David. 
And we live aboard our Passport 42 in Emeryville, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay. We've been living aboard for almost seven years now, six and a half years together. We had a previous boat before Gemini, and uh, Gemini is the name of our boat now. But yeah, so we've been living aboard for six and a half years, and all in the Bay Area. We've kind of just started as novice you know, somewhat somewhat experienced sailors, but novice boat owners. We started out with our first boat, which was a Hunter Legend 37 from 1987. Kind of classic production boat, but actually a lot more racy um, than most of the Hunters that you would see nowadays. They made a couple series that were actually like way better boats than most of the Hunters, in our opinion. Um and she was a great live aboard, super comfortable, had a nice big aft cabin, super fun to sail on the bay. Um, it's always windy here. So she was a little tender in terms of higher winds. We always had to put in a reef and kind of, you know, shorten our sails a little bit. But it was a great way to learn the ins and outs of boat life and boat ownership and boat maintenance before we had like the real deal, big, you know, long-term boat. So, okay, six years, over six years as liverboards, that's a long time. How did that all eventually come about? How did you end up uh, or choose to be liverboards? So I moved out to California through my, I was a BMW technician and I was in North Carolina and I had the opportunity to transfer out to California to work at another dealership. At that time, my parents moved out, so I asked to move back in at 26, which was weird, but under the condition that I would get my ass out of the house again. So I set a goal to pay off all my uh, tool debt, all my credit card debt, and then save enough money to buy my own boat. And that took a whole solid year. I purchased um, Spirit with a loan from a credit union, and then um, I moved to Emeryville or Emery Cove Yacht Harbor, and I got on the wait list for the liveaboard. And I, I lucked out because um, about eight months, six months maybe, um, they gave me a liveaboard, which was just an added fee, but allowed me to have a mailbox and stay there. So that was was a huge, huge plus. I wouldn't be able to live in the Bay Area without being a liveaboard. So then, yeah, that was just really lucky. I shortly thereafter didn't last too long in the dealership world, you know, getting it to sh- into the shop and working 60-hour work weeks because I just wanted to be back at the dock sailing. Um, and in that time, he met me. And actually, the day that we met, I was looking at my first boat to potentially buy because I was in my third year of school of college. Um, I had been living in South America with my family. My mom is from Argentina. So we kind of did this big family move when I was 12. And I learned to sail down in South South America in Uruguay, where I lived. And I fell in love with the sport. I could not do anything but sail. I would, I wouldn't go out partying at night with all my friends because I wanted to be up in the morning and out on the water at like 9am and all my friends were sleeping until noon and I was like I gotta get out on the water so I was definitely on the track of sailing 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 and um, 
when I moved to the Bay for college, I just started volunteering on any race boat that would take me. I just kind of found a couple boats that were pretty low key because I'm not a super big racer. I'm not super competitive, but I just wanted to get out on the water and I didn't have a boat. So I had to kind of work with what I could get. And yeah, so then shortly after I, well, I guess I was in my third, second or third year of college. I think it was the end of my second year um, that I met Jack just through a mutual friend, a mutual boating friend who I just happened to be stopping by her boat. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, you need to meet Jack. She's like, we're about to go sailing on his boat and he's a new guy in the marina. And I think you guys need to meet. Like she just kind of had one of those like thing, like aha moments. And she was like, you need to come sailing with us. And I was like, well, you know, I've got some work for school to do at home. Like, uh, I got to study for that test next week. But when someone invites me sailing, it's like, you know, my priorities get a little skewed towards sailing. So I decided to ditch the schoolwork for the day and I went sailing on Jack's boat spirit. And that's how we met. And we sailed all, all afternoon and all evening and came back in the dark back to the Marina. And I was stoked to meet a nice young guy who was into sailing and I didn't really think too much of it. I kind of just thought like, oh, he's a cool guy. You know, hopefully I can go sailing on his boat more often. And, <laughs> you know, he's new in the area. And and then he invited me out a couple of days later and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going sailing. Do you want to come? And I obviously, again, didn't think anything of it. And I was with another friend of mine. I'm like, you want to go sailing with us? And he's like, no, like, that's definitely a date. Like, I'm not going to crash your date. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. Like, he's just being friendly. He's new in the area. He wants to make friends. Like, and my friend totally saw right through it and knew it was a date. I obviously didn't. <laughs> so that was funny because I showed up and he picked me up in the city front, like just parked in a slip and picked me up and we went sailing for the day. And he had like pork chops marinating and drinks ready and like the whole thing. <laughs> and it was obviously a date and I didn't really know, but I, I caught on pretty quickly and I was, I was okay with it. Um, and yeah, and the rest is pretty much history. We've been inseparable ever since. And we've just, you know, we, we both wanted the same thing of living on a boat and simplifying our life. And it just kind of worked out. Yeah, that's an amazing love story. I love that, that your friend is like, oh, I know something you don't yet know, but go meet this guy. And you're just like, sailing? Sure, I'll go sailing. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Oh, that's really cute. I love that you have that sort of history. So obviously, Jack, you owned the boat at that time, and then eventually both decided to move on to the uh, 37-foot Hunter and live on that in the San Francisco Bay. How long did you live on the Hunter? Uh, we were on the Hunter for three years, and we were very close to paying her off. Um, we upped the up the, the minimum payments and really wanted to get you know out of the debt. Um, so we were just on track to to paying off that boat as soon as possible. And then, so we lived on her for three and a half years, and we were just putting every dime we could into either fixing and upgrading her systems and all the gear or paying off the loan that we had on her. And um, and then this boat in our same marina came up for sale 
And we, we had kind of known the owner and he was an old man who had been, he had sailed the world on the boat and it was actually also a Passport 42. And when he told us he was going to put it up on the market, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, we need to buy this boat. Like, this is our dream boat. Like, we had, we had spent a little bit of time helping him with, like, tasks on the boat and kind of doing a little bit of boat work on there. And, and we just, like, we hadn't found a different boat that we felt we would drop everything for like we did with, with this boat. So we struck up an agreement with this man and he he agreed to sell the boat to us as long as we could sell our boat because we weren't in a financial place where we could keep two boats even for a, sh a short amount of time so we sold our boat in seven weeks which was kind of unheard of it was a really fast sale so we weren't necessarily looking for other boats but um when this other passport 42 came up to be on the market it was kind of just like yeah we're we're ready to sell spirit and you know we had her all dialed in already so all it took was taking pictures and putting it on the market really yeah we had done tons of upgrades you know new batteries new electrical systems we put a solar panel on we had replaced all of the lines on the boat um you know we've done a bottom job and prop speed which is a really fancy um, coating for the prop underneath the water to keep it from growing barnacles and stuff and we had you know we had put our heart and soul into that boat a new head and yeah we had replaced that was actually one of our first projects as a couple we tore apart the whole holding tank system all of the nasty 40 year old hoses it was gross, but we were so glad to do it because living aboard, that is one of the, you know, one of the hardships is dealing with your own waste. And it was kind of a crash course into you better get used to talking about your own waste because it's part of boat life. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's one of our first projects as a couple. And it was like winter time and it was a big project and, you know, for a, a a short amount of time we didn't have a toilet on board because we were in between replacing the, the old stuff with the new stuff and it was it was fun but definitely our first kind of insight into boat life and into like boat work which we quickly realized we could do together really well and we were both passionate about problem solving and tackling things that don't work right and finding new and simpler ways to do things so that was kind of an, an easy step into um, starting to do boat work ourselves. So that almost sounds like a dream situation, not cleaning and repairing the holding tank, but uh, that you, you managed to sell a boat relatively quickly. You have a literally boat that's not in, officially in the market. It's right in the neighbor, you know, the owner. And it sounds like, oh, how quaint. But I know you told me that this transition wasn't exactly as smooth as one would hope. So what went down with your transition between the boats? Yeah, so we we had the agreement to purchase his boat with the agreement that, that we would sell our boat. We also um, were going to have him finance it and we were going to give him the down payment um, in cash. And then he wanted to haul the boat out in the boatyard and he wanted to replace through holes. He wanted to fix a lot of things for some reason, just an old stubborn man, just 
he wanted his baby to be fixed correctly before he sold it. Doesn't really make sense in hindsight. So we sanded the whole bottom. We put bottom paint on it. We moved him off of the boat, packed him up, moved him off, um, removed his holding tank. You know, we started work doing work on the boat. Now, mainly because as boat owners, we know that we really can only trust the things that we've done ourselves and just, you know, we were going to buy this boat. So we knew that we wanted to do all the work that we could. So we struck up a deal with him that we would do the work in the yard in exchange for a discount on the price of the boat. So instead of him hiring the boat yard to do all the work, we did most of the work and it was supposed to reflect the price of the boat. And he was really set in his figure in his head that he wanted to sell the boat for. Now, when you buy a boat, they look at the market on what other the same boats are priced at and what they sell for, what upgrades and and equipment the boat has on it. And then they come up with a with a figure. He wanted way more than 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 what the market was going to allow. And when we had the boat surveyor down to the boat, they found a lot of issues that we didn't know about that were kind of big ticket items like the batteries were shot and they all needed to be replaced. The mm-hmm. oven, although he said he had never used it, it actually never worked. So those are two very different things when you go to buy a boat because, <laughs> you know, we just bought a new stove on our boat and they are not cheap and they have to be marine specific and all these things. So we, we quickly realized that the boat needed a lot more work than the owner was ready to admit. And he wasn't ready to adjust the price that we had agreed upon originally to match the fact that there was a lot of big projects to do on the because boat. I mean real you know realistically the batteries would have cost you know twenty five hundred dollars just the just parts and he couldn't he could not budge even just the parts cost and you know it was just a it was just a, a not a yelling match but a stubborn face off in the boatyard and he said. Well, I'm backing out. And that left us high and dry. I was I was now homeless and boatless and and, and of course and this we was... did all this labor on the on the boat. So we were out around five grand in labor. So And geez. and we really hadn't done all of this in like legitimate writing with like contracts and like Lawyers official and... signatures and all this. We had like kind of set something up but it was saying that we agreed to the price that we had agreed upon originally and we never modified that so pretty much he backed out of the deal and said i'm not selling the boat to you and he actually never to this day paid us for the two and a half months of work we spent um doing work on his boat in the boatyard which was miserable work (laughs) it's not fun (laughs) sanding bottom paint and you know replacing holding tanks and all the all the fun stuff and you know we 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 were kind of starry-eyed and excited to be buying our our blue water cruiser and it kind of blew up in our face yeah we we trusted him when we should have had stuff in in writing with lawyers and contracts and everything but you know you're young and dumb and sometimes you kind of just you don't see the big glaring issue right in front of you. <laughs> and and we were set on on wanting this dream boat that we had in our mind. And really, now that we have the boat that we do have, 
we are so glad that that whole deal fell through because we would have been not only like totally in over our heads in terms of financial obligations to buying this boat, but also the the interior design, although we ended up with a Passport 42, just the same design as, as his boat, our interior was custom designed by the original owners. So it's completely unique to all the other Passport 42s that we've ever seen pictures of. And it's just a way more fitting design for our lifestyle and our like what we find important in life. So, um, so it really worked out. It worked out. It was it just was, very stressful three months. <laughs> it was really crappy when it all went down because we could have been totally fine keeping spirit, our original boat. And we were ready to do some coastal cruising, you know, up and down the coast, down to Mexico. We felt like that boat could have, could have taken us to some, some awesome cruising destinations and we were ready to do that with her, but then we dropped everything to buy this boat <laughs> and then it fell through and it was kind of like, now what? And then we found ourselves boat shopping when we really didn't want to be boat shopping. But the same week that the deal fell through, um, Jack called the broker that we had bought our first boat from or that he had bought his first boat from. Um, and he said, you know, John, I think this deal is going to fall through. We might be boat shopping. Help us out. And so he said, don't worry, we'll find you something good. You know, we kind of gave him what we were looking for. And he sent us Gemini. <laughs> uh, he had just heard that this boat was going to be on the market. She wasn't really officially up on the market yet, but she had just arrived to the Bay Area from um, the Pacific Northwest. And he said, you know, come and look at her. Don't look at the cosmetics because she's not up to our selling standards yet because we haven't listed her yet, but he knew us well enough and he knew that we did boat work and he knew that we were savvy and thrifty and ready to tackle projects ourselves. So he kind of said, you know, let's see if this is the boat for you. And, and honestly, when we came on board the first time, we were still thinking of that other passport 42. And so we were kind of like, yeah, this is not, this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> but the more we spent time on her and the more we looked at things, we said, well, hold on. Like this is actually way better. And it, it turned out to be a total blessing in disguise just in every way possible. Wow. That sounds super stressful. And then what an ordeal. I mean, I, can understand that boat shopping in the best of circumstances can be stressful and time consuming. And you had this whole different experience, which um, in retrospect is a good learning experience, especially for someone like me and everybody listening. So what would be your key takeaways from life? What did you learn from that? I guess one thing have things in writing. Did you guys use a broker for that? Or was it more like a friendship deal? He was a marina acquaintance. You know, um, the brokers work for the sellers, so mm -hmm. they the sellers pay the broker. Um, now, as a buyer, I could hire a broker um, as well to to broker the deal. But yeah, we didn't. You know, we we weren't strapped for cash, but we didn't want to quote waste money on a lawyer or having stuff. You know, it was it wasn't done. 
you know, it, money is money is energy, and people get really attached to their boats and their money, and it gets nasty really quickly. Um, especially when when it's you know an argument about what you think something is worth compared to what the market says it's worth. You know, I mean, I sold Spirit for a lot less than I wanted to, but that's what the market said it was worth, and you know, I I just took it. But yeah, as far as takeaways, just have it in writing. Go with your gut, even if your gut um, doesn't really, you know, sit well for the, you know, it's that butterfly feeling. We never like that. But yeah, that's one thing we have we have tuned into a lot more as as boat owners and boaters in general is follow your gut feeling. Like most of the time, it's going to be right. If you have bad feelings or, you know, in in most situations, if it's if it's a project you're working on, if it's a sailing situation where you feel unsafe or you feel like something's just not right or, meh, you know, you've got that uneasy feeling, it's it's usually for a reason. And looking back, we definitely had moments like that in the in the purchasing process of this boat. And we didn't listen to it because we were so set on the dream boat that was sitting right in front of us. And we felt like that was the only boat that we could have. And really when we found Gemini, we were like, Oh my gosh, what were we thinking? You know, um, just, just looking back, it's always easier to, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's always easier to, to see what could have, could have been like that telltale sign that you would know it's not a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's boat shopping. It's so easy to get excited. Like, I get excited and I'm not even seriously boat shopping it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this boat. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's terrible. Like, even I've looked at some boats and now, like, look two months back and I'm like, what was I thinking? We'd never get that. That's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, his boat had a flashy paint job. It had, you know, it had sails that had been really well kept and all these things that just seemed like so important. But really, we were we were stretching ourselves thin financially to try and make that happen. And and it was just not the right situation. It just, you know, the, the guy had more money than we did. So when he backed out of the deal, we didn't even feel like we had a good position to to file any kind of claim, you know, in small claims court or anything for the amount of work that we had done on the boat. Um, you know, we we hoped that he would at least pay us for the work that we had done, but he never did. And we decided that, you know, karma's a bitch and <laughs> move on. And yeah. we decided it was time for us to focus our energy on what was next for us. And that boat wasn't it. Yeah. And I mean, your story does have a happy ending. Uh, eventually you do find the boat that you wanted, which ends up being the same kind of boat as well. But another interesting um, takeaway that I took from this story as well. You mentioned that kind of both boats were kind of off market, like neither one of them were officially listed for sale. So was your current boat, did it ever go up uh, like, uh, I don't know, Yacht World or on the broker website or anything? Or what, did you just snatch it before it got there? You know, we, we went through the whole survey process and and we got all of our monies in order and, and just, yeah, just made it happen. We had already sold our other boat, so we we actually moved in with my grandfather that lived about 45 minutes out of San Francisco Bay in Benicia, and um, 
he had a tiny little studio apartment and he was like, well, you can come and join me here, <laughs> which, you know, it was, it was great quality time with my grandfather. Um, but you know, we didn't want to be there for too long. And so we pretty much spent all of our free time boat shopping online, looking at what was out there. And, and we didn't just want to jump into a boat that we didn't want to buy either just because we were boatless Mm -hmm. Um, but it was that hard balance of like looking at what was on the market and realizing that there wasn't that much that was really what we were looking for. We, we wanted something bigger than 40 feet, but smaller than, I think our limit was like 45 feet. Maybe we had already experienced the passport 42 design and the amazing quality of craftsmanship that they put into building these boats. And so when we talked to Jack's original broker um, and he said that he had another one up for sale soon, it was like, it was kind of a no brainer. And, and he, he told us, you know, don't look at the cosmetics, look at the bones, look at the potential. Um, You know, he, he knew us and knew that we could, we could bring her up to what she was really worthy of um, with a little bit of hard work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which... And Jim and I was bare bones. She, she had original sales. She had batteries that weren't, that weren't up to snuff. Um, very original limited ele- electronics. Um, manual windlass, Hank on sales. So like no roller furler system. Um, a head system that was, kind of jimmy rigged and not really done properly so that had to go the holding tank and everything again it's just every boat we get into <laughs> we, even for clients they buy a new boat they call me the first week and they have it because their head doesn't work and you know it's just is what yeah. it is um so jim and i was just very very bare bones but we knew that the bones that she did have were, were great and she had good pedigree so it was it was kind of a blessing in disguise because we've we've made jim and i into our own We've we've put in the really specific equipment um, and made it all look factory as well as we can. And we've upgraded her in, in a way that we've uh, there's a by the way, there's a plaque on one of the bulkheads of the um, original owners that commissioned her in 1986. And every time we do an upgrade, we look at the plaque. And we're like, OK, is this going to be up to their standard? You know, because they specifically designed this boat how they wanted it. So and and actually it's really awesome because they actually found us online they're still around they live up in uh, in the outskirts of seattle and they watch all of our youtube videos and they follow along on our adventures and they have cheered us on and told us how awesome it is that we're giving gemini the love that she deserves um and just you know it's been really inspiring and and feels really great to hear that from the people that that bought her fresh from the factory and and we actually got the original blueprint drawings that they hand modified what they wanted to change in the interior. Yeah. Wow. It really sounds you guys lucked out. Like what a special thing to have that connection to the original owners. And it almost sounds like they've kind of, they improved the boat for themselves, but that it's really working out for you guys as well. So what a fun connection that, you know, spans back decades. So that's really cool. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Jack, you referenced clients earlier, and uh, the the interesting thing about you guys is that you truly live and breathe all things sailing as you run your uh, marine repair and detailing business. So not only do you fix up your own boats when needed, but you also do that for others, and you do it together. So how did that come about? And and I'm kind of curious to hear, does fixing other people's boats make you want to fix your own boat more or less? Like, does it make you inspired to keep your boat tip-top shape? Or is it like, no more <laughs> holding tank repairs for this week? Well, <laughs> it's it started, um, it started when I met Sonia, she was working for a guy uh, detailing boats in the city. And as I talked about not wanting to work for BMW anymore, she eventually convinced me to, to quit that high-paying corporate job. And I've I noticed that there was a, a definitely a definite hole in the market for people to not only just wash boats and detail them, but repair them. There was in the Bay Area. There's you, everybody has their uh, specialty, and it was hard to find somebody to wash a boat, but then replace your batteries or run the engine while you do that, or you know see something that's broken and just make it happen, get it done. So with my mechanical background, um, that was that was a no brainer. Um, I took a huge pay cut, but that meant that I had more free time to go sailing and, you know, uh, enjoy my own, enjoy my own life. But the business was, you know, rocky in the beginning. Uh, we were constantly putting out ads and worried about how we're going to pay the next bill. And once word of mouth got around and we, you know, had a good reputation going throughout the marinas, we didn't have to advertise anymore. And, you know, it, it became more of a, I need to budget my time correctly because I'm going to disappoint people by not showing up. So it very quickly became a little bit more than we could handle. But as far as working on my own boat, sometimes it's actually the opposite. Sometimes I have to dial back my wanting to fix my own boat and say, okay, I've got to, I've got to run this business properly and uphold my promises and get to these monthly washdowns and 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 make the money so I can keep on spending it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nobody's paying you to fix your own boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I that have... would be nice, though. <laughs> if anyone's interested in paying us to fix our own boat, we're totally down. <laughs> I have a I have a lot of irons in the fire right now as far as um, projects on on Gemini, um, as well as client boats. You know, we have we have bi-yearly waxing and stainless polish. And then people are always wanting to upgrade solar panels or electronics, canvas repairs. We have evolved into more of a yacht management business. So not only am I repairing stuff, but I'm overseeing yard projects or I'm not doing the canvas repair, but I'm taking the canvas off and I'm taking it to the to the shop 
and having the, the frontline communication with the shop owner, making it so our clients don't have to lift a finger. There's a good majority of our clients that I've never even met, actually. I maintain the boat. I'm on their boat more than they are. And it shows because then they can come down to the boat on the weekend or whenever they want. And it works. The holding tank's empty. The, the diesel's topped up. Water tanks are ready for them. And the boat's clean and ready. There's nothing worse than a boat owner who never gets to go to their boat. And then the one time that they do... It's dirty. There's a leak down below that ruined their cushions. There's moldy food in the fridge. You know, they need to go to the fuel fuel dock. And, you know, they end up spending their whole day just doing that. So that's what we tackle. And, and we like to really say that we treat every client's boat as our own boat. So when we show up to wash the boat, we check the dock lines. We check that the fenders aren't hanging in the water and growing a reef down below. We, you know, make sure that it's been cleaned below the water line by the diver. We check the bilges, make sure that the bilge pump is running. You know, after storms in the wintertime, we, we make the rounds around the whole city and check every boat, make sure it's okay after having a lot of wind or rain or whatever. And, and yeah, we just, we like to treat every boat as if it were our own because I would want someone else to do the same for us. So, you know, if you're not on your boat all the time, then you hope that it's okay when you're not there. So that's kind of what we do. And, and we can't be specialists at everything. So when we don't feel comfortable doing something, we admit to it because there's plenty of work and there are plenty of specialists out there to tackle the projects that we don't want to do. So that's when we refer them to other marine technicians in the Bay Area. And, and we're happy to be the in-between so that they don't have to call the person and make the appointment and show up to the boat to show them the problem or whatever it is. But it is all boats, boats, boats. I, I don't get tired of it. I, you know, I, I like getting up, getting out of the, the marina and working on other people's boats. And, you know, I've got I've, I could split my day up into work and play really easily. I've kind of dabbled in all of the marine related industries. Um, I worked at a, a sail loft building sails and doing canvas work. And that was really fun. I learned a lot and it was just another, another notch on the tool belt of, you know, knowing how to repair sails and knowing how to build canvas items for boats and stuff. She actually sewed our, our whole mainsail um, at that job. So we have a, a new main built by Tanya. <laughs> Yeah, well, he helped. He helped with all the heavy lifting of moving the canvas back and forth from one side of the sewing machine to the other, which is <laughs> a lot of work. But yeah, we did build our own mainsail, which was quite the project. And we made a video about it, which was fun. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then from there, I actually went to work part-time. This was all part-time work so that I could also help with business. Um, and then I worked at a boatyard in the area, just working in the office as their weekend person. And actually, as of today, I haven't told anyone but him yet, but I just put in my notice to the boatyard because we're prepping to go cruising soon. So it's now official that I'm leaving that job. And I'm actually working on doing some freelance social media work for hopefully for marine related businesses, because that's what we're passionate about. But yeah, so I, I 
put in my notice and then got hired as their social media manager. So <laughs> kind of a win-win, I guess. Um, I won't be going into the office anymore, but I get to still work with them. And, and they're, a, you know, one of the few mom and pop type places around. Um, and they're really passionate about helping voters like us achieve their dreams. And so when I walked in and said, hey, I'm, you know, I got to get ready for our next change in our lifestyle of prepping to go cruising, they were on board, they were happy and ready to support us in the next part of our adventure. So boats, 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 boats. Yeah, boats, boats, boats. <laughs> That's amazing. It really sounds like the stars are really aligning, but I think you guys just put out so much positive energy at that at some point it has to start kicking back as well. I mean, you guys have obviously impacted a lot of people's lives with your business because obviously most boat owners don't live on their boat. So, and like you said, they don't want to, you know, the one a weekend they have off to go sailing, they don't want to spend fixing it. So I think you guys provide a perfect solution for that. And uh, it's a really neat way that you've sort of identified this or found this niche that you can do and you enjoy doing it. It's something you both of you can do. So that's really awesome. I'm really glad to hear that you guys have been successful in, in doing that. So it's, it's a very inspiring story to just go all, all into boating. So cruising, where are you going? What's your plans? Tell me what's next. Yeah, so our goal is to circumnavigate Vancouver Island uh, this coming April. April is a good time to get up the west coast of North America. And then so we could we could make that trip happen um, April, May, June, and then come back down to California in July. Um, I think that would give us enough time to check out the San Juan Islands, check out Desolation Sound, and then get up and around uh, to explore the west coast of Vancouver Island. And so we will come back down to the Bay Area in July and work through uh, September or, uh, or October um, of that same year and then head down to Mexico. And then once we're done in Mexico, we would like to replace the chain plates on Gemini and La Paz, and then, which would be a, about a month or so, and then um, start cruising into the Sea of Cortez. And once we get it into the top of the Sea of Cortez for hurricane season, we just kind of play it by ear. Uh, we could spend a few a few sailing seasons the Sea of Cortez and and still not see it all. So that is our short term, semi long term goal. Yeah, that sounds amazing. We don't want to be in a rush to go anywhere, really. So once we're once we're back from our Vancouver trip, we just want to take our time to get down to Mexico. And not rush to get anywhere else past Mexico yet, because we have heard so many amazing things about that whole area. There's so much to explore. And with our business, we're hoping that we can leave things on somewhat autopilot. Um, we have hired someone to help us with like the general monthly washdowns and kind of basic work that needs to be done consistently. And then if we're still in Mexico, it's not that far to fly home once or twice a year and check up on all of our clients, make sure that everything's going okay, and kind of get some of the bigger things done that need to be done. And like we said, we have a, a really good network of qualified, trusted technicians that we can always call in if we're not in the Bay Area and something needs to be done on a boat. So we're hoping that we can kind of leave the business to continue um 
maybe at a slightly less capacity capacity yeah. but um but still you know bringing in in a little bit of income and continuing to serve our clients because we have some great clients and we don't want to lose them and and they're happy with our services and we hope it stays that way and we don't want to make too big of cruising plans to i mean obviously the you know the life goal is to get across the pacific and see the uh, french polynesias and go to new zealand and i would like to sail to japan but i don't want to set myself up for failure by making this large unobtainium goal without making the baby steps and seeing our own backyard first yeah that makes total sense i see so many people who are talking about like going on and sailing around the world and then they make these big jumps and just in my opinion skip over so many cool destinations and i'm like no slow down isn't the whole point of traveling on a sailboat to go slow (laughs) and and once you're across the pacific it's a long way to go back so you know there's so Mm -hmm. much to see down south from where we are that we could do that for a long time before we choose to really cross to the, the south pacific so my final question for you guys is um, based on your experience as sort of a longer term liveaboard before you go out cruising. Because I think a lot of people are thinking of doing that, um, you know, stay, living this sort of more um, stationary liveaboard life before uh, going off uh, to cruise. So do you have any advice for people who are thinking of doing the same sort of few years as a liveaboard and then go off? I would say don't just buy a boat and stay at the dock. Like, do your best to balance the work that needs to be done to make the boat safe and livable and sailable, but also take time to do whatever trips you can that are in your backyard, like, like we've been doing, because that's when you really figure out what works, what doesn't, what needs to be changed. You know, you figure out like we, we figured out on our channel islands trip that we needed better cockpit cushions because When you're sitting, you know, after a couple shifts of night watch, your butt starts to really feel that that cushion that's, you know, probably about 20 years old. And and you start wanting wanting those little luxuries that would make your life so much better. You know, it's okay to be stationary in one place, but don't get complacent and and not use your boat because not only do you not gain the skills and the learning lessons that you do when you are out on the water, but also like your boat will deteriorate quicker if you are just sitting at the dock. Like your boat wants to be used. All the systems want to be used and you won't know that they're broken until you need them and you're somewhere where you can't fix them. So doing short little trips, anchoring wherever you are, like, we have a lot of different anchorages in the bay and and we've heard from other bay sailors that like oh san francisco is only a place where you go out for the day and then you come back to your slip and and we really don't feel that way because we have we have made san francisco bay our cruising grounds and we have we have tried anchorages that aren't really officially anchorages just because we wanted to see what it was like you know it's not officially in a shipping lane and there's no traffic in the area, so we should be able to anchor here. And we give it a shot. And we've learned from those experiences. And we've determined what 
what we need to do to make our boat safe and comfortable and feasible for life on the hook, which is very different than being stuck at the dock. So I would say um, simplify your life. We have very small amount of clothing storage. I have more storage for food and tools on board. So simplifying your life is as in you have a pair of walking or like hiking shoes. You have a pair of boat shoes that I wear every day and then some flip flops. You know, I, I, if I, if I need to go to a fancy event or some kind of thing, go to Goodwill, you buy it used, you can drop it off when you're done. You know, it's as far as simplifying your life goes. If you're, if you're going to buy something, make sure it's quality. Don't just go buy the cheapest, easiest thing because, because either it's going to break and it's just going to end up in a landfill or you're not going to, it's not going to really going to fit the, the use that you needed it for. And it's going to sit in a corner taking up space or it's going to end up in a landfill. Buying used at used boat stores. A lot of times boaters get rid of things that are perfectly fine they work perfectly well but they don't want to throw it away so they leave it up by the dumpster and it gets taken by another boater or they go to the consignment store and they sell it um so trying to not contribute to the world's waste is one of our biggest biggest things these days is don't just buy it because it's there buy it because you need it because you've researched it's going to work that you can repair it instead of just buying a new one and just really reduce your impact since we live aboard we know how how often we need to pump out our holding tank so we know exactly you know exactly how much waste we produce we compost all of our our food waste so we know how fast that that bin is going to get get full we take all of our recycling up and garbage up to the trash so we know exactly how much we produce we go grocery shopping i would love to get chips and snacks and candy but it all comes in plastic and if you buy in plastic then you have to get rid of that plastic or live with the fact that, that plastic is going to be around so it's it's about simplifying your life as a as a, as a material aspect as a quality aspect and um you know you you live in a very f small finite space we don't have a storage unit we don't have extra stuff we don't have you know, snow clothes and, and, you know, another bicycle laying around just because, or, you know, the little bit of toys we have are, are very, you know, the paddle boards and the, the sailing dinghy, it's, you know, very purposeful. Um, so yeah, so sim simplify your life, just make it as streamlined as you can. Yeah, that's really good advice. And if we want to sail the oceans, then we need to take care of them. And we need to be stewards of the oceans and of the environment in general, because, it's up to us to contribute to the right solution for this whole climate crisis that we are in. And I think the more we begin to travel on our boat, the more passionate we're going to feel because we are going to see the trash floating by every day. And we're going to see the ghost nets in the ocean and the wildlife tangled up in trash that we have produced as humans. So, you know, we have we have made a lot of changes in our life to not only reduce the amount of stuff we have, the amount of clutter, the amount of baggage we carry around with us, but also the impact as to where we're buying things. Are we ordering them on Amazon or are we supporting a local business that's in our backyard? And the one thing we've realized is as boaters and keeping that 
environmental aspect in the back of our minds all the time is it's the convenience of things that really messes with the whole chain like the whole cycle that we're in of wanting the the prepackaged yogurt instead of buying a big yogurt we buy six little yogurts and you know all the little things that we that we might not think about on a daily basis but when you're storing all the plastic and all the trash that you have on board and you're you know you're seeing how much water you use every day and then then you start to really change the way you look at things and and you start to value other things a lot more you know material items are not are not really as important the memories and the experiences and the amazing wildlife encounters we have out on the water and that's what we're really trying to care about and focus on yeah that's such an important message and i'm so on the same page uh, on all of that and i love that your liverboard lifestyle has kind of made you better humans in in a way and uh, made you really think on your own impact on the environment and obviously because you are so connected to nature when you live on a sailboat so you literally see all of this firsthand uh, probably in a very uh, frequent basis and one thing that really attracts me to this sailing life as well is just kind of valuing different things and finding out what's really important like is it really that one day amazon prime delivery time so that i can buy whatever coolest thing or is it experiences something like, you know, orcas or humpbacks jumping off your bow or something like that. So I'm so on the same page with that. Yeah. And and most of the time, like you, you end up saving money by choosing to buy things used or to not buy things you don't need or by making your own bread or your own, you know, like by avoiding trash and plastic, we're actually saving money because we're we're getting thrifty, we're getting creative with how we do things, we're borrowing things from friends instead of buying them when we only need them once. Or, you know, or we're buying quality tools and we're buying the things that are gonna, that are really gonna be like our, our life support when we're out at sea and no one else can come save you. So you have to be self-sufficient and really have reliable equipment. And so the more we can prioritize that and make sure that what we are investing in is long-term, is well-made, is, you know, that, that's, that's like part of what, what boating is for us is, is working with what you have and, and taking care of what you have. Yeah, that's really well said. And I really love that uh, thing you mentioned that, you know, really focus on the quality and not on the quantity of things. So maybe you're a minimalist, but you have high quality items that will last you a long time. And I love seeing all these sort of circular economy products come up to the market more like, you know, things like socks or t-shirts that you can then return once you're done and it'll be reused to make more socks and t-shirts and, and so on. And I love seeing all these things um, and hopefully they will become more and more common, but there is still a lot of work for all of us to do in this consumer-minded uh, world that we live in. And that's that's the hard thing we keep coming back to is the convenience. Like it's it's so easy to just not think about it and to just say, oh, I'll I'll try that next time, or or oh, I don't want to spend the extra, you know, twenty dollars on that 
on that circular economy t-shirt because I could go to Target and buy one for 10, you know? And, and then when you start breaking it down as to like, well, is that t-shirt made in the U.S.? Did it, you know, what was the impact as to how they made it and where did it get shipped from? And what is the material? Is it going to be shedding microplastics into our environment for the rest of its lifetime? And how long is it going to last me? Because if it's, you know, if it's that cheap target rack, then it's probably not going to last you very long. Might last you a season, especially in the marine environment. The, the marine environment really takes a toll on, on everything you own. But it's really empowering to, to make those changes because then you feel like, I got what I wanted, but I also didn't become part of the problem because of buying, because I bought what I wanted. So just finding those, those little changes or those little like habit shifts that we can all do that really do make a difference that don't have to be really hard. It just takes a little bit more time figuring out what works for your lifestyle and for your desires. Yeah, exactly. And I think the important message is also when talking about all of this kind of stuff is that we can all make a difference. Uh, you know, because oftentimes you hear people say like, well, I'm just one person, it doesn't matter if I do something or don't do something. But you know, that's the whole source of the problem, isn't it? So um, yeah, I, I really love that you guys have this mindset. And I know that you do talk about this a lot on your Instagram account as well. I've seen a few posts that I'm totally like, yes, this is exactly what I need to follow. So on that note, I know you are super active on Instagram and you also do have a YouTube channel and you're all over social media. So where can we go continue the conversation with you and follow your guys' adventure online? Yeah, so... My Instagram is to the horizon and that's actually T W O because you know, it's the two of us fathom fathom counts, but she's, she's only like a half crew. So <laughs> she, she hasn't like raised any sails or cleaned any, any dishes or, you know, she's, she's just along for the ride. So yeah. So it's to the horizon. And that is on Instagram. It's just to the horizon on Facebook. We are to the horizon sailing. It is to the horizon.com for our blog. And we are on YouTube as to the horizon sailing. And that's all T W O. And then Jack has his own Instagram account, which is J legend 37 and fathom. If you want to follow our furry little fluff ball she is fathom the boat cat on instagram and yeah and yeah we we'd love to have you guys subscribe to our channel and check out our videos we put a lot of effort into sharing our lifestyle and trying to keep it real and show you guys the challenges and the hoops we have to jump through as boaters and all of the ups and downs and the amazing rewards that we have from putting in the time and effort that we do into our lifestyle. Yes, and I will definitely link all of those below in the description. So we got direct links to go follow you. Well, Sonia and Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I feel like I could have kept talking with you for a whole nother hour about all this environmental stuff. So maybe that's a part two sometime. <laughs> sure. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, it was great chatting with you. And hopefully 
you and whoever is listening gets gets a little bit of value of what we've been chatting about and we hope you guys get out on the water because that's all we care about is seeing more people getting out on the water and enjoying themselves so thanks so much for having us well i hope you found this episode helpful i really enjoyed talking to sonia and jack as they are such a genuinely nice couple and i want to thank you again for listening I really appreciate you tuning in week after week, and knowing that there are other people listening certainly gives me the motivation to keep doing these interviews. So, truly, thank you. Next week, there is again a different Liveaboard experience for you, so I will see you in the next episode next Wednesday. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.